Act One of Hekira, The Mother-in-Law by Terence, translated by Henry Thomas Riley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dramatis Personae, Lacus, an aged Athenian, father of Pamphilus, read by Todd. Philippus, an aged Athenian, father of Philumena, read by Alan Mapstone. Pamphilus, son of Lacus, read by Thomas Peter. Socia, servant of Pamphilus, read by Nima. Parmeno, servant of Sostrata, read by Eva Davis. Sostrata, wife of Lockies, read by Beth Thomas. Marina, wife of Phidippus, read by T. J. Burns. Becky's, a courtesan, read by Sonia. Philotus, a courtesan, read by Devora Allen. Sira, a procuress, read by Abai. And Stage Directions, read by Lian Yao. Scene Athens, before the house of Lakes. Phidippus and Bacchus. The first prologue. Hecaira is the name of this play. When it was represented for the first time, an unusual disaster and calamity interrupted it, so that it could not be witnessed throughout or estimated. So much had the populace, carried away with admiration, devoted their attention to some rope dancing. It is now offered as though entirely a new play, and he who wrote it did not wish to bring it forward then a second time, on purpose that he might be able again to sell it. Other plays of his you have seen represented. I beg you now to give your attention to this. The Second Prologue I come to you as an envoy from the poet, in the character of prologue speaker. Allow me to be a successful pleader, that in my old age I may enjoy the same privilege that I enjoyed when a younger man when I caused new plays, that had been once rejected, to come into favour, so that his writings might not die with the poet. Among them, as to those of Caecilius, which I first studied when new, in some of which I was rejected, in some I kept my ground with difficulty. As I knew that the fortune of the stage was varying, where the hopes were uncertain, I submitted to certain toil. Those I zealously attempted to perform, that from the same writer I might learn new ones, and not discourage him from his pursuits. I caused them to be represented. When seen, they pleased. Thus did I restore the poet to his place, who was now almost weaned, through the malevolence of his adversaries, from his pursuits and labours, and from the dramatic art. But if I had at that period slighted the writer, and had wished to use my endeavours in discouraging him, so that he might live a life of idleness rather than of study, I might have easily discouraged him from writing others. Now, for my sake, hear with unbiased minds what it is I ask. I again bring before you the Hekira, which I have never been allowed to act before you in silence. Such misfortunes have so overwhelmed it. These misfortunes your intelligence will allay if it is a seconder of our exertions. The first time, when I began to act this play, 
the vauntings of boxes, the expectation of a rope dancer, added to which the throng of followers, the noise, the clamour of the women, caused me to retire from your presence before the time. In this new play, I attempted to follow the old custom of mine, of making a fresh trial. I brought it on again. In the first act, I pleased, when in the meantime a rumour spread that gladiators were about to be exhibited. The populace flocked together, make a tumult, clamour aloud, and fight for their places. Meantime, I was unable to maintain my place. Now, there is no confusion. There is attention and silence. An opportunity of acting my play has been granted me. To yourselves is given the power of gracing the scenic festival. Do not permit, through your agency, the dramatic art to sink into the hands of a few. Let your authority prove a seconder and assistant to my own. If I have never covetously set a price upon my skill, and have come to this conclusion, that it is the greatest gain in the highest possible degree to contribute to your entertainment, allow me to obtain this of you, that him who has entrusted his labours to my protection, and himself to your integrity, that him, I say, the malicious may not maliciously deride, beset by them on every side. For my sake, admit of this plea, and attend in silence, that he may be encouraged to write other plays, and that it may be for my advantage to study new ones hereafter, purchased at my own expense. Act One, Scene One. Enter Philotus and Syra. Faith, Sirrah, you can find but very few lovers who prove constant to their mistresses. For instance, how often did this Pamphila swear to Bacchus, how solemnly so that anyone might have readily believed him, that he would never take home a wife so long as she lived? Well, now he is married. Therefore, for that very reason, I earnestly both advise and entreat you to take pity upon no one, but plunder, fleece, and rend every man you lay hold of. What, hold no one exempt? No one, for not a single one of them, rest assured, comes to you without making up his mind, by means of his flatteries, to gratify his passion with you at the least possible expense. Will you not, pray, plot against them in return? And yet upon my faith it is unfair to be the same to all. What? Unfair to take revenge on your enemies? Or for them to be caught in the very way they try to catch you? Alas, wretched me! Why do not your age and beauty belong to me? or else these sentiments of mine to you. Scene 2. Enter Parmeno, from the house of Lachies. Parmeno, at the door, speaking to Skirtus within. If the old man should be asking for me, do you say that I have just gone to the harbour to inquire about the arrival of Pamphilus? Do you hear what I say, Shirtis? If he asks for me, then you are to say so. If he does not, why I say nothing at all, so that at another time I may be able to employ that excuse as a new one. Comes forward, and looking around. But is it my dear Philotus that I see? How has she come here? Accosting her. Philotus, heartily good morrow. Oh, good morrow, Parmeno. By my troth, good morrow, Parmeno. If faith, Sirrah, the same to you. Philotus, tell me. Where have you been enjoying yourself so long? 
"'For my part, indeed, I have been far from enjoying myself, "'in leaving this place for Corinth with the most brutal captain. "'For two whole years there had I to put up with him to my sorrow.' A troth, I fancy that regret for Athens full off possessed you, and that you thought but poorly of your foresight. Oh, it cannot be expressed how impatient I was to return hither, get rid of the captain, and see yourselves here, that after our old fashion I might at ease enjoy the merry-makings among you. For there it was not allowed me to speak, except at the moment prescribed, and on such subjects as he chose. Palminer, sarcastically. I don't think it was gallant in the captain to place a restraint on your tongue but what is this piece of business that bacchus has just now been telling me indoors here pointing to her house a thing i never supposed would come to pass that he in her lifetime could possibly prevail upon his feelings to take a wife to take indeed why look you has he not taken one he has but i doubt whether this match will be lasting may the gods and goddesses grant it so if it is for the advantage of bacchus but why am I to believe it is so? Tell me, Pomeno. There's no need for it being spread abroad. Ask me no more about it. For fear, I suppose, it may be made public. So may the gods prosper me. I do not ask you in order that I may spread it abroad, but that, in silence, I may rejoice within myself. You'll never speak to me so fairly that I shall trust my back to your discretion. Oh, don't say so, Parmeno as though you were not much more impatient to tell me this than I to learn what I'm inquiring about. Palminer, to himself. She tells the truth there, and that is my greatest failing. To Philotus. If you give me your word that you'll keep it a secret, I'll tell you. You are now returning to your natural disposition. I give you my word. Say on. Listen. I'm all attention. Pamphilus was in the height of his passion for Bacchus here, when his father began to importune him to take a wife, and urge those points which are usual with all fathers, that he himself was now in years, and that he was his only son, that he wished for a support for his declining years. He refused at first, but on his father pressing more urgently, he caused him to become wavering in his mind, whether to yield rather to duty or to love. By hammering on and teasing him, at last the old man gained his point, and betrothed him to the daughter of our next-door neighbor here, pointing to the house of Phidippus. This did not seem so very disagreeable to Pamphilus, until, on the very point of marriage, when he saw that all was ready, and that no respite was granted, but marry he must. Then, at last, he took it so much to heart, that I do believe if Bacchus had been present, even she would have pitied him whenever opportunity was afforded for us being alone so that he could converse with me he used to say parmeno i am ruined what have i done into what misery have i plunged myself parmeno i shall never be able to endure this to my misery i am undone oh may the gods and goddesses confound you lachis for vexing him so to cut the matter short he took home his wife on the first night he did not touch the girl the night that followed that, not a bit the more. <laughs> what is it you tell me? A young man go to bed with a virgin, intoxicated to boot, and able to restrain himself from touching her? You do not say what's likely, nor do I believe it to be the truth. I suppose it does seem so to you, for no one comes to you unless he is eager for you. But he had married her against his will. After this, what followed? In a very few days after, 
pamphilus took me aside away from the house and told me how that the young woman was still untouched by him and how that before he had taken her home as his wife he had hoped to be able to endure this marriage but parmeno as i cannot resolve to live with her any longer it is neither honourable in me nor of advantage to the young woman herself for her to be turned to ridicule but rather i ought to return her to her relations just as i received her you tell me of a conscientious and virtuous disposition in pamphilus for me to declare this i consider to be inconvenient to me but for her to be sent back to her father without mentioning any blame would be insolent but i am in hopes that she when she is sensible she cannot live with me will go at last of her own accord what did he do in the meanwhile used he to visit bacchus every day but as is usually the case after she saw that he belonged to another she immediately became more ill-natured and peevish hmm. in faith that's not to be wondered at and this circumstance in especial contributed to estrange him from her after he had fairly examined himself and her and the one that was at home he formed a judgment by comparison upon the principles of them both she just as might be expected from a person of respectable and free birth chaste and virtuous patient under the slights and all the insults of her husband and concealing his affronts upon this his mind partly overcome by compassion for his wife partly constrained by the insolence of the other was gradually estranged from bacchus and transferred its affections to the other after having found a congenial disposition in the meantime there dies at imbros an old man a relative of theirs his property there devolved on them by law thither his father drove the lovesick pamphilus much against his will he left his wife here with his mother for the old man has retired into the country he seldom comes into the city what is there yet in this marriage to prevent its being lasting you shall hear just now at first for several days there really was a good understanding between them in the meantime however in a strange way she began to take a dislike to sostrata nor yet was there ever any quarrel or words between them what then if at any time she came to converse with her she would instantly withdraw from her presence and refuse to see her in fine when she could no longer endure her she pretended that she was sent for by her mother to assist at a sacrifice when she had been there a few days sostrata ordered her to be fetched she made some i know not what excuse again she gave similar orders no one sent back any excuse after she had sent for her repeatedly they pretended that the damsel was sick my mistress immediately went to see her no one admitted her on the old man coming to know of this he yesterday came up from the country on purpose and waited immediately upon the father of philomena what passed between them i do not know as yet but really i do feel some anxiety in what way this is to end you now have the whole matter and i shall proceed whither i was on my way and i too for i made an appointment with a certain stranger to meet him may the gods prosper what you undertake farewell and a kind farewell to you my dear philotus exeunt severally end of act one